0: This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for February 23rd, 2019. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels, and hey, thanks for being here. So this week, I am talking to Robin Baumgarten, or Robin Baumgarten, or, you know, however you actually say it. I'm bad at this. Anyway, uh, Robin is probably most famous for the line wobbler, which is, well, it's a game. It's a toy. It's an art installation. It's the kind of thing you would see at a really cool bar. It's an unusually glorious lamp. It's all of those things, uh, but it's also not just any one of those things. Uh, in addition, it's a one-dimensional dungeon crawler. Uh, we'll talk about what that means. We talk about sort of where Robin's work sits and the questions it brings up about, you know, how we approach art, games, stuff in general, uh, just just objects in the world and what we expect from them nowadays. It's a pretty cool, pretty wide-ranging conversation, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Um, I left in... More of the sort of logistical stuff that I would usually take out uh, this week because, you know, questions that I ask everybody that that usually have very straightforward answers like, you know, can I use some images or sound from your work? Uh, you know, when would you like this episode to go up? When would that be helpful for you? Uh, all those questions in Robin's case had kind of interesting answers. They led to topics of conversation that we might not have hit otherwise, and it might not have made sense transitionally speaking if I'd taken out the questions. So there's more of that than you might expect. Uh, my only other quick note this week uh, is that because we recorded this a little while ago uh you know and, and robin shows his work at all kinds of different places there was no ideal time to put out the episode uh, as far as he was concerned some of the stuff he mentions the events like ludicious uh, have already passed others some of the most important ones to him have not though for example the game developers conference gdc uh, he will be showing stuff at the alt control uh, portion of that and doing some other things as well which we talk about in the interview And speaking of GDC, one thing that is not so much a note about this episode as just an exciting announcement is that I will be at GDC this year. I am doing a live interview with Zach Barth, talking to him about his puzzle design process, uh, how he collaborates with the rest of the Zachtronics team, how they make really interesting games so damn quickly, uh, how he doesn't consider himself a puzzle designer... In the traditional sense, uh, how, you know, we, if, if what he makes aren't puzzles, then what they are is probably something worth considering because they tell you something about what we normally think of as puzzles. Topics that he and I have talked about on this show before, uh, but with much more of a focus on puzzle design. You know, it's a GDC talk, so it's it's more with the intended audience of people who want to make puzzles or make games in general uh, or make uh, what, you know, what Zach has, has called and then not been sure why he called anti-puzzles. Uh, so if you're going to be at GDC consider stopping by. We are going to be talking on uh, March 20th, that's Wednesday, at 9am. It's called Open-Ended Puzzle Design at Zachtronics. I will link to info about the talk in the show notes. Hope to see you there, and hope that you'll stick around now for Robin Baumgarten.
1: Oh, you sound great. Oh, yeah.
0: thanks for uh thanks for thinking of the noise level <laughs> that can sometimes yeah, yeah. be no, a it was, challenge it was
1: much busier than i expected i thought it would be nice and quiet but it turns out that is uh the 3d printing evening tonight and so oh. a lot of people turned up
0: that's interesting so what that's like a bunch of folks with the equipment show up and people just 3d print uh, everything yeah actually the
1: yeah, they're building their own 3D printers, actually. So like over like a year now, almost, I think. So every evening they get together and do a little bit like, you know, wiring up the motors or uh, aligning the screws or whatever. It's um, quite fun to see, but then it always gets a bit noisier. And uh, yeah, did I didn't, didn't want to interrupt them either.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, I, I, I don't get as many opportunities as I want to, to talk to people who make hardware, uh, the majority of folks who have something to sort of plug, you know, and, and who, you know, want to complete that quick loop of saying like hey I made this thing check it out on itch or steam or whatever generally are people who make software but like a lot of what you do involves making bespoke stuff so like if you had to sum up what it is you do as far as making games and game adjacent objects you know to someone who has not hasn't sort of never heard of you or only knows a little bit how would you describe what it is you do
1: well it's a, it's a bit tricky to describe so I'm kind of always going back and forth but I, I would say it's experimental hardware games uh, they sit somewhere between like Toys, video games, and installation art. That's usually how I describe it.
0: Yeah, I see that. I mean, it, it, it doesn't um, fit comfortably into toy or game, right? Because it doesn't have sort of the progression systems we usually ascribe to, to gaminess. It's not quite a toy because it's a little bit too game like to be a toy. And it doesn't comfortably fit in galleries because it's too fun, I guess is the way to put it, right? <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of love for art galleries. I go to them whenever I'm in a new city. I used to work in one. Uh, but. Uh, you know, there is sort of a fear, I think, among the gallery art set of anything that feels too much like a game, which really, when you strip away the portentous language, means engaging, right? It has to be a little distancing, or else, you know, what is it doing in a gallery? Whereas your stuff, even though it, to, you know, to my mind, sits very comfortably in a gallery in terms of aesthetic interest and all of that, it is uh, perhaps more fun <laughs> than anything else. So you get, like, people gathered yeah. around it, and it's, in, in that sense... Uh, more what one would expect to see in like a cool bar than in an art gallery, generally.
1: Yeah, no, 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 for sure. I mean it's it's a it's a different different experience, uh, definitely. And I'm still kind of figuring out where my stuff belongs, or not even belongs, but kind of who is happy to show it. You know, where where can I can I exhibit it? And it seems to be like a rapidly changing kind of environment as well. I like mean, bigger museums are happier now to have installations that are playable and that, you know, that are fun. Uh, uh, I haven't really shown it in like super serious galleries. So, yeah, you're right in that. It's kind of uh, even more mysterious to me to see, you know, would it fit there at all being like a game.
0: Yeah, that's that's in some ways, you know, an old as the hills and always somewhat false distinction, the high art, low art thing, right? Like if it's too fun, it's no longer an installation. It's a game. And and oh, goodness, are we an arcade, not a gallery? And I I think you're totally right, that especially at the at the midsize level, we're seeing those lines, if not disappear, then at least blur. And that's exciting, right? Because like there's interesting work being done on both sides of that pretty artificial divide. And when they cross over, it can be really exciting.
1: No, definitely, and uh, I mean I'm definitely coming from from a video game perspective here. So I, I, I used to do more normal games and kind of showing them at exhibitions that are uniquely game focused, and then kind of now I'm slowly breaking out of this uh, with, with stuff that isn't only uh, a game that gamers enjoy, but kind of a, an experience that is also for you know the general public or people who are generally interested in interactive installations. That's quite uh, quite exciting to me, but it's also kind of hard for me to say. Uh, you know, this has existed or has not existed before because I'm also still discovering, you know, what goes on, what is important, uh, what is big here. Uh, so it's quite a, quite an exciting process for me as well.
0: Yeah, it's actually, so you're, the line wobbler is the one and only thing of yours that I've actually had the opportunity to lay hands on. Um, and I, I have on a couple of different occasions. Uh, once, I believe at Indiecade East, it was definitely at the Museum of the Moving Image uh, here in New York where yep. they do Indiecade, And then uh, just more recently at Baby Castle's and across the board, you know, capital G gamers or whatever, who have just, or just people who have been playing more traditional games recently, take longer, you know, just this is a small sample set, but from what oh. I've seen, they seem to take longer to figure the line wobbler out than just somebody who maybe is not in that headspace, you know, like, You know, uh, uh, older folks or very young folks or whatever who just like want to play with the tactility of it. Because for anybody who has not had the chance to see or play Line Wobbler, it's a one dimensional dungeon crawler, is what you call it, right? Uh, So you move your little light avatar thing along uh, a track, and when you come to an obstacle, an enemy, whatever you want to think of it as, you have to sort of flick. Uh, as though it's a door stopper, uh, the uh, the joystick, and that's not what you would usually do with a with a joystick if you're thinking of it as a joystick. So if you're just thinking of it as tactile and as play, then it makes perfect sense. But if you're trying to play it like a regular game, then instead you like. The first time I played it, I like I hit the reset button when I should have yeah. flicked it, right? Because I was like, "Oh, it's a, you know, I I need to perform an action. It's a button. It's a game, right?" So I I feel like your stuff encourages different modes of engagement for people who are used to traditional games, and maybe for exactly that reason, are kind of inviting to people who don't.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting divide uh, between, uh, yeah, people who are more used to games in general, uh, maybe also between people those and people who are used to experimental games, and then also people who. Who don't play games a lot so there's uh an interesting difference in, in approaching the object so i i feel like i mean gamers in general are usually fairly good at figuring out what's going on um people who are who haven't really been uh you know close to games they are struggling a bit more usually so i often find you know i need to put some instructions on there so ideally i would leave it entirely without instructions because you can kind of discover what's going on. But, you know, also d- depending on the context. So like, for example, if I show it in a, in a really kind of nice environment, like a museum, people are usually too careful. that They say, oh, I don't want to break it, you know. And, uh, the, the attack in the game is like, it's fairly kind of violent in a way. You need to shake the controller or ideally fling it. And people don't do that. They say, oh, what happens if I break it? So sometimes they, they don't even discover, you know, the, the mechanic of the game, the, the main mechanic. To, to progress beyond the first level. Uh, and so I, I feel compelled to sometimes put some instructions to it. And also like more generally, if there's no instructions whatsoever, some people are, are too afraid to touch it at all. So like uh, this kind of sense of discovery or exploring what it can do is, I, I feel it's more tricky for people who don't play games. I mean, that's maybe too generalizing, but I found that people, need to be handheld a little bit so you know they maybe they're too afraid to look stupid say oh i I don't know what to do maybe i shouldn't try so i give them like little pointers you know there's three sentences you're the green dot reach the other end red is bad you know (laughs) kill it by wobbling and then lava is orange uh it's deadly when it's bright so this kind of these seem to be the the uh, crucial instructions for people to get by and uh so that's why i put the instructions always on there because i don't want to exclude people like non-gamers and it's kind of important to me that they play it as well and they feel kind of uh, comfortable doing so.
0: So I was talking as I believe you know to uh, Rami Ishmael not too long ago Um, and you know one of his big things is anybody can make a game games can be anything games can sort of communicate across language barriers and I think your games are very much like that because they are about pure play in a certain sense and they're very visual and often very tactile it's interesting to me that like the main barrier to someone getting it or grokking what the game is about is just having played a lot of other games. It's more about preconceptions than about communication or anything like that in the in the traditional sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seems to be like you know having having a notion that you can discover or explore the space that is given to you. It, it seems to be uh, like a very game like thing to do to you know figure out your mechanics and and see what's around you and then you know figure out what you can do. It seems. Uh, 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 a thing that games do really well and thus gamers are more worse than that and uh, maybe also going back to the thing you said previously is like across languages as well so I I showed it a few times in in Japan and it was really funny to me to see that people were really so much better at getting the game uh, quickly and also better at playing it because I think Japan as a culture I mean I guess it's also fairly generalizing but they're still more you know, cl- closer to this arcade-style culture, so they have more arcades. They have these pachinko machines, even though that's just mostly gambling. But gaming as a concept seems to be more pervasive in Japan, and so that I could see that totally in when when people would play it. I mean, it, granted, it was a games conference, so it was Tokyo Game Show and Bit Summit. So maybe it was kind of self-selecting audience. But uh, it, yeah, I didn't need to explain much. Not that I could have, because you know, <laughs> most people didn't speak English. Although that was funny as well, because uh, certain concepts were just kind of in English, in in, uh, in Japanese as well. So like final stage, uh, you know, just say final stage and they get it or like enemy or, you know, uh, attack, attack. And so that's quite funny. So like even with this very limited vocabulary, uh, both in language, but also like, you know, game mechanics, you can kind of convey meaning uh, across uh, different cultures.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I the one other aspect of the continued prevalence of arcades in Japan is that alternate control schemes are still more common, you know, like to play to, to see like a Taiko no Tatsujin machine where it's just like two drums or something it, you know like even oh, yeah, if you see an arcade thing. in the US a lot of them are generally just like joysticks and buttons you know i mean when yeah. i when i the first time i played line wobbler as i said you know i was i was at an exhibition about alternate control schemes and it's still you know a that's a thing right you have to like point that out it had like butt sniffing pugs the game with the giant ball as the controller oh, yeah. and you know stuff like that you know and even then it took people a second to figure out what was up with line wobbler and there was a plaque that had to explain it and all of that like yeah i, I think just we we as people who play games generally uh, it's it's even though the possibilities are basically limitless it's very easy to sort of uh, uh, come up with a very small c conservative set of expectations about what's going to work how it's going to work and, and what kind of feedback to expect because that's the other thing about line wobbler is if you if you fail right if you just run straight into the red thing or something the failure state is like a you don't lose much progress in the traditional sense and b you get like a cool light show <laughs> you know what I mean like it's still the object <laughs> reacting to you in a fun uh, pachinko machine ish without the gambling right uh, low input high output kind of way so it's it's still rewarding in that sense as a toy
1: yeah exactly I mean that the, the death animation uh, is is uh, I feel like from a from a you know game designer perspective almost too pretty uh, I kind of <laughs> you know just started experimenting when I when I built the game with like little particle effects you know I mean it's like a one-dimensional particle effect, just like lots of lights going up and down and I just chose random colors each particle would have a random color and that looked so nice, so I decided to keep it, or I kind of said, okay, maybe it should look more like deaths, you know, red or something. But people said, you know, they told me, oh, this is so nice, you should keep it. And so it actually looks almost too pretty to to be, uh, like, you know, negative feedback. So sometimes people also just kind of keep pushing the joystick forward, continuously running into the first enemy, exploding and doing that over and over. And uh, at first, when I when I saw that happening, I said, sort of kind of really wanted to correct everyone, but... Now I'm just much more relaxed and just going, oh if they you know derive joy out of this um, silly little you know animation then so be it that's kind of their way of enjoying the game.
0: Yeah, I've definitely seen drunk people do that for sure. <laughs>
1: uh, yes, of, yes, of
0: all of all, well, I won't say of all ages, but of you know of legal drinking age and beyond. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that game is is incredible. So when I played it at Baby Castles recently, I also played the uh, the Game Boy Advance D-make of it. I don't know if you've had a chance to. See that, that oh, yeah, somebody... I, I've yeah, seen
1: yeah. it. Yes, they showed me, but I, I haven't actually had a chance to play it on a on a real machine. Or on a, like, I don't know if you played it on an emulator or on the real. Was it the three? I played yes, it sorry.
0: on. It's like it's yeah, it's like a coffin shaped arcade cabinet. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty oh, cool. Wonderful. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: I haven't actually played the thing yet. And I mean, we have uh, been in close contact. I mean, I, I love that you know someone made a make of of a one D game that is already super minimalist. Uh, so that that's quite uh, almost. Ironic in a way, but I, I love that they just went there and I think also all the levels are, or many of the levels are like community uh, generated content. So like a lot of like designers in New York just, said, oh, I'll make a level and then most of them are fairly ridiculous and super hard in, in the result. But it's it's quite a, quite a cool thing and I, I really need to see it in person at some point.
0: Yeah, it's 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 incredibly neat. Um, it you know it doesn't really capture the tactility because like instead of flicking, you're just hitting an A button or something, right? Um, unless there was a flick mechanic, I didn't notice. Now I got to go back. But anyway, it's you know it definitely captures sort of the simplicity and the joy and the you know the quick resets and you know and yeah, it's 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 pretty good. It's definitely worth your time. You can also just download it and play it on a Game Boy Advance emulator, like you said. But it's always better to see it in person, uh, which is true, especially of your stuff. And um, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say the line wobbler has been shown in a bunch of different forms, right? Because it is just a, a one-dimensional plane, you can like you know you can sling it over something, or you can have it just go up really high, or I believe uh, you had it displayed as a as a Christmas tree at one point. Um, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I usually I, as when I show it or when I send it, even to to be shown somewhere, I encourage people to to find a new layout for the strip. So normally it's like a five meter long strip and uh yeah I, I usually look around in the venue and see oh we could use this you know railing or this pillar uh, and so kind of trying to find a new way to show it just to i mean for, to keep it a bit interesting for myself as well but also kind of finding new challenges and kind of new interesting ways of like embedding this 1d game in a, in a 3d space so uh, it's it's quite quite fun and uh yeah you you said like the christmas tree was a really cool experiment i was like a, a 25 meter long version of the game which was of wound like a helix that looked like a uh, like a christmas tree basically like a spiral that looked like a christmas tree and it was installed last year in uh king's cross station so that was really cool and it was also interesting to see like also again the with the general public because that was not even a, a space where people would expect games so it's even more open-ended but I, it was really interesting so even like older couples came over and gave it a go and it was kind of tricky to play uh because it was a spiral as well so it was like a fairly distracting environment uh, and people were kind of rushing to get their trains so uh, I guess it was fairly hard to get what was going on but a lot of people did and it was kind of it was very fun to see them enjoying themselves in in like a unlikely scenario. Yeah
0: absolutely yeah at Baby Castles right now it's uh, it's very architectural like in a very low key way it's just sort of curled around the back exit door to the patio so like there's a, an area with the control a controller off to the side and then just there's people coming and going underneath your game of line wobbler it's kind of fantastic like it's completely incorporated into the space and sometimes they'll just look up and you just died and there's lights blinking it's <laughs> it's, it's neat
1: yeah 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 no I, I like this as well like where people maybe don't realize it's a game at first and then maybe just like an hour later they go back it's like wait a second why is this joystick here and this this is kind of uh, what I really enjoy about this whole process of like, you know, giving people this unexpected uh, joy of like finding a game uh, or like a game like thing in a in a space that doesn't normally have games uh, or I mean, baby casts I guess, would have games. But like having an <laughs> LED strip sure. that is, you know, playable is not a thing you see every day.
0: Well, that's what's great about your stuff is that even in a space where you're expecting to see games, you're probably not quite expecting to see that. So, like, even if your expectation is, oh, this is a space for games, it can still nonetheless confound those expectations, expand them, uh, uh, play on them, all that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's um, that's that's quite fun. And I, I kind of want to see also if I can take it further, like seeing, you know, both by modifying line mob by saying, oh, what if the LED strip would, you know, go through the entire house or something? And or what if the controller would be a different size or, you know, a, a kind of playing with the concept itself is, is quite fun and the seeing people encounter it in these in these environments gives me a lot of ideas to take it forward or like you know sideways even
0: definitely yeah to so to to jump off of the sort of taking the concept and running with it thing uh, something else you've been working on is spring garden which you know as as we've only sort of alluded to like the idea for uh, line wobbler came from you watching I believe a YouTube video of a cat playing with a, a door door stopper spring. Yeah, and that's you said right. you you wanted to be as happy as that cat was, so you designed <laughs> an interface around that. So Spring Garden is sort of a, a, a hex grid of those springs. Correct me if I'm describing any of this wrong. That can sort uh, of no they light up and they they uh, they can take uh, uh, you know tactile input, and the idea your idea is for it to be a controller or like a platform for new games.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm calling it Wobble Garden now. I was actually looking for a name for a long time, so Spring Garden was one. That was on the board as well, uh, but uh, yeah, Wobble Garden is is basically yeah, so it's like a platform of thirty six springs or more or less, uh, and then each of them is surrounded by a little LED ring. So it's kind of is in a in a way very similar to Line Mobler that it's using springs and LEDs as input and output, um, but it kind of takes it in a slightly different direction. And uh, I decided to make it before I even had an idea what you know what the gameplay or the mechanics should be. And so I'm kind of actually still uh, experimenting with what it is. So it's kind of more of a platform rather than a single game that Line Warbler was. So it's kind of has a little couple of little mini games. Some of them are uh, more interactive animations, so not necessarily uh, goal oriented games. Um, Some of them are like more audio visual where uh, people have said, Robin, this would be super cool. with like audio added in. So I made a little soundboard, but I definitely want to go more in that direction as well. But yeah, right now, it's like this kind of fairly open-ended platform that I'm kind of continuously expanding both in in software and, and in hardware.
0: Yeah. And I mean, so one implementation that I believe you put together was Quantum Garden, which is sort of that same grid, but it uses uh, quantum computing in a way that if I'm perfectly honest, I don't fully understand <laughs> to then take your inputs and do a really cool light show <laughs> reactively yeah, yeah. Uh, based on no, those I inputs.
1: Mean, that's, that's pretty much exactly it. So it is a larger version so i mean basically from from day one when i made this thing i said okay my my ideal goal is to have it as large as possible as many springs as possible but maybe like a whole wall full of them and so quantum garden has like 228 springs so it's like a fairly big um wall that you can kind of touch and and wobble and i was approached by this uh, institute of theoretical physics in turku uh, and they said, "Oh, yeah, we have this um, this black box. They call this it. like a plugin. Uh, initially, they had it for Unity, so to make some some games that were kind of somehow inspired or used quantum mechanical things to to play around with. Now, obviously, quantum mechanics is kind of tricky to understand, and like their cons- like the the specific methods they used weren't very easy to understand either, even if you know a, a thing or two about quantum mechanics." <laughs> the so fact that they call the
0: thing the uh, the black box is pretty on the nose.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's basically it takes some inputs and you get some outputs out. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, we want to kind of expand that a bit, use it as like a citizen science project, so, you know, like where uh, citizens or like normal people can interact with the science and maybe even help discover new things. Uh, I think they were inspired by this uh, folding at home project as well. I don't know if you remember where you have these proteins and that you can fold. And uh, that was also... Uh, used as a as a way like where you could download it and make it yourself and I, I believe even like people at home discovered a better folding than the science scientists did so they were hoping but the quantum physicists were hoping oh maybe we can do something similar where people you know play around with this quantum problem and then help us uh, solve it more optimally and i don't know if that's quite su- as a su- uh, successful thing because the the problem is much more abstract like proteins you can still imagine like these kind of weird blobs but uh, the, the quantum mechanical stuff is, is very abstract. And that's also true for quantum garden. So we, had, we were using um, this one problem, uh, it's called stirrup and it's like a fairly complex problem of like changing quantum states. So like, I guess you wanna change a quantum, some quantum information from one state to the other. Uh, and because it's quantum, it's very counterintuitive uh, how to do this properly. Um, but anyway, they have this simulation that does it and it outputs like this graph at the end of it. Uh, so basically what we did, we used the springs at input and then the graph was outputted as like a, as beautiful as possible animation on this uh, wobble board, basically on the, on, the, on the quantum garden board. And so uh, if you've seen the video, it does like these concentric rings that pulse in and out and that's exactly this graph. Um, so it's not really obvious to, to visitors what they kind of really controlling or what they're changing. Um, But there is some correlation between input and output and I think that's kind of uh, the interesting thing here so that people can play around with it and enjoy it and kind of maybe get curious about what quantum computing can do for them and then read up on it. But I don't think they will learn too much about, you know, what quantum problem that is in specific uh, This this quantum garden
0: yeah, it's interesting that the idea on the lab side was sort of to to get people to engage with the problem in the in that protein <laughs> that protein folding kind of way. Um I definitely assumed when I first saw quantum garden that the idea was more to help someone understand the possibilities of quantum computing, sort of to use it to explain the base concept rather than to get you to participate in it and and do things that the process itself can't do. you know, uh, I yeah. guess it can work both ways, at least in theory.
1: Yeah, I guess it could, yeah. I mean, it, it is it is fairly tricky to find a good place to start to explain it, especially with a fairly abstract art piece, like where you have a limited number of, you know, pixels. Uh, I mean, I guess Quantum Garden could work as a display, but then you might as well use a monitor, right? So I guess using this kind of specific circular hex grid spring display uh, is, is is fairly tricky and conveying like an abstract physical concept is, is even harder. So uh, in a way what we did is a compromise and um, I mean it was fairly successful in that it kind of a lot of people saw it and then read up on it and and also uh, I posted about it online and it did fairly well on Twitter and Reddit and I now actually have a couple follow-up requests for for Quantum Gardens It's going to go to Brazil this year and then also uh, uh, somewhere in California. So it's it's actually uh, in that sense it's been quite a success.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the the idea of playing with a toy and then getting curious about how it works makes total sense to me as a gateway drug. I've had um, Zach Barth, who made Space Chem and Infinifactory and Opus Magnum and all that stuff on here a few times. And he said, um, actually not on this podcast, somewhere else that I'll link to, that, you know, he thought about trying to make a Zachtronics game about quantum mechanics, and then eventually just came around to the idea that we'll know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just math and math sucks. Um, yeah. You know, for, from the perspective of making an engineering game, right? It seems to me that making a toy that uses that math uh, is probably a better way to get people interested in how it works. And like that yeah. is maybe a strain that runs through your stuff because you're very, very open about how you build what you build and what it's built out of and how, how you got, you know, if you want to be a spring nerd, uh, take a look at another video that I uh, I will link to. Uh, yeah. That it seems to me like that there is an, uh, an engineering gateway drug aspect to what you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I guess if you want to design... Like a really logical puzzle game, like the Zectronics games are. You need to really engage with quantum physical uh, properties, or so like you know the, the simulation, and then this complex mass of you know uh, imagine number, uh, imaginary numbers and all this. So I can definitely see where where this becomes too much of an issue. And it's while, absurdly
0: hard to know where to start. You know
1: exactly. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of more loose with kind of you know the 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 science side, and it's kind of more of a a visual uh, kind of free form playing, and and I think for that. You, you don't really need to convey that information necessarily right away.
0: The other thing is if you, if you never care about that information, your stuff is still engaging <laughs> on that level, right? It it doesn't exist purely as just like a teaching tool or, or like, uh, it's not just teasing you with, Hey, I wonder how this works. It's also just, you know, it's fun stuff to interact with. Yeah, Anything absolutely. that can work on both those levels to me is always, uh, is always a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, my stuff is definitely, uh, like interaction and fun first. So I, for a long time I wasn't, so keen on you know like edutainment and i still haven't really seen a game doing like really teaching you lots of real life stuff well if that's the first goal anyway so i'm I'm definitely content with having something that people really enjoy and then maybe through their enjoyment getting some some benefits out of it like by later getting curious about the the deeper context
0: yeah, stoking curiosity is probably a, a more achievable goal than than somehow Trojan horsing in like usable information in the process of playing a game.
1: Absolutely. So, w- hmm.
0: I know that part of your uh, your vision with Wobble Garden was that it would sort of be a platform that a lot of people would make games for or make stuff for. Maybe more broadly, has that happened so far? Have you ha- have you seen other people sort of taking it up, or is it is it still early days as far as that stuff goes?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still fairly early days, uh, especially considering that nobody else really has a device yet. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll put
0: a damper on the development yeah. process, yeah. Um,
1: so I have uh, I have a few copies now, but they're, like one is in a in a German museum at the ZKM, so Zentrum für Kultur und Medien, so Culture and Media, or Arts, I think. Um, but it's also like, you know, it's a confined space, there, so people can interact with it, but not yet build something with it. So I was... Um, I did one thing where I was jamming with a friend, uh, Steven Lavelle, uh, Incrapara online. He's also making really cool puzzle games. So he was making a, a, a tiny little game for it, but it's uh, it was just like a couple hours. So uh, there is you know at least one user-generated game for it. It's like a little snake-like thing. But that's definitely early days still. And uh, I'm still kind of looking into what the best direction to do this is. Like, you know, how do I open source the back end, for example, how do I make it accessible to people? And I haven't quite figured all of these things out. Um, so that will be definitely a challenge for maybe this year, maybe also the next, um, seeing, you know, how commercial do I want to make this to to get it into people's hands? Or, you know, how easy will I make it to kind of emulate it? So like the people have like this little simulator and they can make it. And then maybe there's a couple of these uh, wobble gardens at like, I don't know, game cafes or arcades that they then kind of uh, you know, plug in their own software and see if, if something fun can come out of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that emulation aspect is maybe important, I mean, because part of what is valuable about Line Wobbler Advance, for example, the, the Game Boy Advance remake of Line Wobbler, is that you know, there's there's like a lot of inventive concepts in Line Wobbler. It's not just the hardware aspect and not just the the, the prettiness of it. It's also the whole idea of 1D gameplay, right? That is something that itself kind of makes you go, huh, how does that work? So getting to demo that aspect of it, even without the tactility, uh, you know, easily and on any device you happen to have lying around is incredibly valuable. You know, I can see that to have something similar for WobbleGarden would really help people get their heads around it and get curious. And, and, you know, whether or not they end up making something for the real thing, it still sort of gets the ideas across and out there and in people's heads.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, maybe another thing would be like running a couple of workshops. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually planning now to do a workshop in, in Zurich. There is a Ludicious coming up uh, in mm. two weeks or so. That's a festival in yeah in in Switzerland and uh, i'll I'll be running like a 1d workshop there like a 1d gaming workshop so I have ordered like uh 30 little short LED strips and uh, bring a bunch of sensors and so then people maybe can try their own little uh, uh games 1d games uh, hopefully not just like line mobile clones but something <laughs> maybe new entirely and uh, it's a surprisingly tricky little uh, design space to be kind of confined maybe it's not even surprising but this is very a limited what you can do on 1D and also what you can do that people can understand afterwards you know you can't just have oh my character has like 10 states and they're all signified by a different color and you know you, you would kind of not have a clue what's going on so kind there of is convey- not to my
0: knowledge uh, I was going yeah. to say there is not to my knowledge been a 1D roguelike so far
1: no no I mean I, I have seen a few g- so I mean Line wobbler isn't the first 1D game so I have seen a, a few 1D games before so I was Mostly in the context of like D makes as well. So there is a one D Wolfenstein, for example. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And it's it's kind of it's kind of fun. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's almost unplayable, but it's <laughs> uh, it's kind of an admirable little thing. It's like in that it's uh, it kind of works mostly because of the sounds. So you kind of see this kind of gray blob moving around on screen, but uh, purely because of the sound, you ent- understand entirely what's going on. You know, like you have the the pickup sound from from a weapon, like the cocking sound of a shotgun, the door sounds and so on. So you kind of understand and kind of let your ima- imagination do the do the kind of rendering, <laughs> if you will, um, of the game world. And um, uh, so it works in that sense. So there's been a few, but uh, it's, it's really tricky to get like a really deep gameplay out of this. It's true.
0: Yeah, I always think of uh, there's a documentary called Get Lamp about uh, early text adventure games. And I can't remember who says it in there. Uh, Again, I'll put a link in the description. But this person basically saying, like, so you have, you know, you have 2D games and they have lush, beautiful graphics and great, you know, great, great sound and whatever. And then you have 3D games and they're even more lush and even more immersive. And then you have stereoscopic 3D and it's the most immersive thing ever. But all of that is still only like 50% as immersive as just reading. So it's like your brain is always going to be more potent than whatever technology we can put forth, you know, in a certain sense.
1: Yeah no exactly and yeah I've seen I mean like my, my, my game doesn't have any text so I guess it doesn't quite fall in the same category but I've gotten what's well, it's similar
0: people. though in the yeah. sense that your brain has yeah. to do a bunch of the work
1: exactly yeah and people have gotten like you know surprisingly attached to this little green green dot and ask me you know oh what's what's its name and I, I haven't even <laughs> thought about it like you know I didn't make a backstory to that to that game but like people have made like there's a a nice uh, piece of little fan art where people make you know like this green knight fighting evil red monsters and it's all like kind of really fleshed out in a, in a weird uh yeah also like roguelike way it's quite funny um to, to well, see, you, yeah, you give them um,
0: a little yeah. bit of grist for the mill by referring to it as a 1d dungeon crawler not a 1d space shooter or something right but like you you know you, you're evoking a certain set of like tropes or, or images or whatever just by choosing those words you know by giving it that whatever genre distinction it had in your head while you were making it
1: yeah exactly i mean i, I want to give people you know uh, some context so because the the presentation is so weird and unusual that uh, i guess uh, from a from a game mechanics perspective you need to you can't really experiment too much at the same time and people you know, should still be under, able to understand it so yeah just like a hey, 1d dungeon crawler maybe that makes it clear or you need to go somewhere maybe in another room and so then each line segment represents a room and then also the game mechanics are centered around like keeping it fairly easy to understand i mean games where people kill monsters have been a thing for as long as there's games right so it's not exactly new mechanics but um i try to keep it as easy to understand as well like from a from a visual perspective so uh it's kind of almost like a traffic light system where green is good red is bad there's like orange somewhere in the middle and that's kind of pretty much what i restricted it to and i i have a lot more ideas for the game and uh, you've probably seen some in the in the 3ds version where people kind of went wild with some of the new concepts but uh, uh I, I might keep that for like a new game plus version or something but because uh it's already fairly complex with all the colors and you say oh what would this blinking blue green blo- blob mean uh, when if i add more enemies for example right uh so i guess the complexity wouldn't really help in this case
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of the the reason for being for Line Wobbler Advance. I mean, like it's besides you know the it, it being a pun on a, on it being a Game Boy Advance remake. It's also got an advanced campaign that's like a second quest in the Zelda sense that is you know the ludicrously hard levels you were alluding to earlier, right? So. That makes sense for people who are line wobbler devotees, but for someone who's encountering it for the first time and also has to get their head around what this object even is and how the controls work and and, and how a game can be 1D and all of that, it would be a lot to then also have a high skill ceiling within the, the sort of core set of levels.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I have, uh, have the game now in, um, I don't know if you know them, 2-Bit Circus. There's like They are based in uh, Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. yeah, they're yeah. Opening
1: these... Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, so they're opening these micro amusement parks, and so they have one uh, line wobbler arcade machine in there. Um, so it's basically just normal line wobbler, but they put a little, uh, you know, like this uh, coin-operated uh, mechanism in front of it. And so it's going to be very interesting for me to see if people um, kind of want to play it uh, or understand it quick enough to be not frustrated having spent that quarter or I don't know how much they charge uh, in there, you know, and like if it's approachable enough that you you kind of feel compelled enough to play it even without you know trying at first um so that's going to be an interesting experiment as well for, i feel
0: yeah yeah it's interesting like putting a coin op uh, uh mechanism on there which i've, I've not seen their machine so I, I can't say for sure how it feels but i can imagine it makes it feel more like a a boardwalker like a carnival <laughs> game instantaneously you know just in terms of your expectations like there aren't really um like, I, I, there aren't too many co-op, or excuse me, co-op, there aren't too many coin-op uh, dungeon crawlers, right? I mean, like, they are they tend to be unusual ones, like Dragon's Lair or something.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, in that case, it's it's a bit more of an action game uh, than uh, than a dungeon crawler. Like, I guess you, you go forward yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. kill enemies, and yeah, whenever I post on Reddit about uh, Line Wobbler, I also get pushback from people saying, ah, this isn't really a dungeon crawler, you shouldn't call it that. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe it's, like, not turn-based, and, you know, I guess everyone uses so. their own little uh, definitions but I, I found dungeon crawler uh, the the most succinct dis- uh, explanation or like you know description of to, to, yeah, yeah, to well, it's, it's not it.
0: so much about saying it belongs in the same conversation as as you know, Dragon Quest or whatever, it's more about, or Diablo, it's more about just saying, you know, it's, like you said, because someone needs something to, to hang on to in their imagination when they're playing it, this sets the expectation that your goal is to progress deeper, quote-unquote, into the dungeon, quote-unquote, it sets you up with the idea that there's going to be danger, maybe even combat, like, it gives you a lot of information, you know, to, with which to make a, useful assumptions. Yeah, exactly. Which is all genre should do, really, right? And then you can meet those expectations, or, or you know, twist them, or subvert them, or whatever. But like that's what genre is for, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I would kind of love to expand the the scope of the mechanics of Line Mobile as well, where I then you know subvert maybe this context of like, oh, you always need to to fight what is in front of you. Uh, but it it seems, uh, yeah, maybe it's like for Line Mobile two or something, or uh, I need to revisit the hardware, uh, the software side as well. Um, but yeah, that's something I thing I want to explore more as well. Yeah.
0: So so going back to the hardware side for a second. I one thing I find really interesting about your work is, and and you know the reason that we're talking about art galleries and bars as opposed to playing games at home is that it isn't really practical for you to like sell kits for people to make line wobblers at home at least you know in the current setup uh, or to or to ship them to people it's a little bit expensive as as one game. So you've been targeting these spaces where it's like a 3D printer, you know. Uh it's a thing you encounter in a space rather than something you expect everybody to, you know like more people are going to have nintendo switches than are going to you know own a space with a line wobbler or a 3d printer in it or something right so like i is is that something that is part of the appeal to you that you're creating these like things you have to encounter or is it partly just an outcropping of the fact that they're expensive to make and that's not a problem you've quite solved yet or a nut you haven't cracked
1: yeah i it's definitely more uh it's it, it's more like of a side effect in a way like i really enjoy making things with hardware with like physically, you know, like using like weird sensors, weird displays, uh, kind of new ways of interacting with a thing or, you know, like not necessarily a computer, but like experimental hardware, alternative controller thing. Um, So kind of having it restricted to certain spaces is like a side effect, but it's definitely something that I have taken into account or into consideration when building it. So like, I mean, it, it is meant as a short five to 10 minute experience. Of like you know what you can normally enjoy if you if you visit a museum or an arcade or a, a party you don't really want to spend like hours on this thing um, and that also is what it makes it a bit tricky to if I you know would consider oh sh- should I make a version for home then you know you will have like this five to ten minutes fun of it with it and then it just sits there so you know like, I can't uh, justify like the high price tag that it is now uh, with then uh, with like just having five minutes of fun. So I don't need to think of like, oh, okay, should I expand the game massively or what what else could it be, you know? And then there, there, there's some considerations like mm, maybe I could make it a, a lamp while it's not playing, you know, having some 1D screensaver <laughs> sure. of sorts, like some kind of 1D lava lamp or, uh, yeah. So so that's kind of things I'm considering and seeing, oh, this could be cool, like, you know, and people have said, oh, yeah, I would totally put that, uh, you know, in my in my bedroom and like lie down and just kind of play with it the whole time. So. There's definitely seems to me some demand there, but it's um, it's also like a significant effort to to uh, make a product like this. Uh, not saying that I wouldn't do it. It's just like um, right now I'm kind of enjoying the experimenting with new things more. So that's I didn't have didn't get around to to kind of really make it a product uh, yet, at least. Uh, no but part, might, no I part of your
0: that. I was gonna say no part of your build process has mass production in mind.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, I, I guess it's it, it could lead there. I mean, uh, you could consider what I'm doing now, like the prototyping uh, process. Uh, and yeah, especially with like the rapid prototyping or even the rapid manufacturing, uh, for example, in China, it would probably be possible to, to do that. But there's like a like a whole business back end that I, that I don't really have or even want to deal with right now. Like, you know, maybe spun up my own Kickstarter campaign or finding the factory that does it and then, finding a second factory that doesn't want to rip you off or uh so that's <laughs> that's all things i i don't really enjoy at the moment so yeah, that's sure. kind of what i haven't done it um not saying that's you know like a, a general advice on my side it's just like okay i'll just make my own little experiments and right now that seems to be uh going fine for me so i'm kind of making these and making a couple for museums that pay artist fees so uh there's money coming in through that and uh it's, it's also kind of interesting in that niche as you described it as like saying this is a thing that you need to go somewhere to experience so it's not uh, a mass-produced thing it's kind of a like a bespoke little um, art installation that you need to go to like cool little festivals like like baby castle things or uh, some have it in like bigger museums so i think it's also in the orlando science center for example or here in london uh, there is uh, a big exhibition right now in the victorian and albert museum which generally shows only more like classic design stuff, but they have now video games as well. So I guess you need to go somewhere to experience that. And I think that maybe goes back a bit to the arcade days as well. Like I can looping back to the arcades, I suppose, where you really need to go into a specific location to be able to play uh, that thing, right? And uh, in a sense, it could be seen as like a little renaissance of of like arcade spaces, Uh, and I, I can see the same with, uh, not to the same extent, but like VR has something like that as well. At least in in uh, arcades that are very modern, they have a lot of VR spaces. So people, you know, uh, rather spend like a, a pound or two or like a dollar or two uh, trying the VR experience once rather than spending, you know, like thousands into and, and a full equipment kit at home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, any tech conference you've been to, whether it's explicitly about games or not has the one VR display at this point, whether it's just showing you, like, here's how you visualize customer data or something, right? Like, that that VR thing in a public space has become relatively cultural, culturally normal, at least among a certain set, a certain, you know, tech-savvy set.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so maybe, you know, like, these kind of custom or, like, indie arcade experiences or indie uh, game experience, hardware game experiences could become, like, its own little niche in that sense uh, as well. I mean, it's it's always going to be harder to 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 produce them you know like to make them sturdy enough for for the drunk a drunk crowd or the the little kids that just kind of want to tear on every little cable they find <laughs> um so it's definitely a challenge and um but I, I can see more people getting into that space as well
0: yeah yeah i mean I, this kind of stuff fascinates me because it, it's such a clear example of how when you're making a game or a toy or whatever you're making art and you're making a product right and of course like Art that gets put up in galleries, like like those things, are products too. It's just that they're products that that like certainly the gallery conceives of them as products, right? But they're products whose value derives in large part from the fact that there's maybe only one of them or maybe only a few of them, right? So yeah. like that's what galleries and arcades have in mind is that they are spaces where you go to have this experience or see this thing that you otherwise can't.
1: No, exactly, and I mean I I don't uh, specifically set out to make like you know art as uh, like an art piece that is like.
0: I don't like uh, that word either. I just arts? don't have a better one.
1: I understand. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like also kind of weird, like people uh, ask me, hey, so Robin, are you an artist now? Uh, like it's like I used to be just like a like a video game programmer, right? So it's a kind of a very weird distinction, but it's it seems fine. I mean, like nobody's really uh, prescribing what is and isn't art. And like, uh, I guess the, the debate that video games are art is like over with like, you know, resounding, yes, they are. Um, but uh it's it's still like kind of this interesting overlap where if it's shown in a museum, you know is it something special or not and uh that's kind of uh, interesting to to see and and kind of discover for me as well, like you know oh um if you're have been doing it longer, you can ask for much higher fees because you're a much more famous artist or something uh that's all like weird and unusual, especially coming from uh from a game space where it's like you know all the games are all very cheap or even free and uh, that's all you can ask for it's just a very different experience
0: yeah absolutely i mean like the i <laughs> i don't know how deep you want to go into the, the the you know the gallery culture and the way art gets valued uh, that's something i could talk about basically all day but it's, it's an interesting thing to me because a lot of it does have to do with the cachet of the artist. A lot of it does have to do with, you know, what, what, in, what in theory is called like the aura of the original. The idea that you're in the room with the line wobbler, not just, you know, not just a line wobbler or something like it that stuff commands a certain amount of cachet and it's like there's there's on the one hand nothing wrong with that but on the other hand it can be weirdly distracting from the thing itself like it can stop you from like if someone walks into a gallery space and doesn't want to touch the line wobbler or doesn't want to flick it too hard oh. partly that's what that is they have this like this reverence for it that distances them from it ironically which is like i think how a lot of people experience art in galleries uh unfortunately. yeah absolutely
1: yeah and, and, and i think that's not really what i'm going for so often uh like when I show it at like just like little events and conferences uh I have the case that like you know like uh the, the the parents of like a little kid come to me and say hey can can we buy this Our our son or our daughter really enjoys this uh this game <laughs> and that's kind of the the audience I'd m- m- most i uh, I'd love to sell to most you know the yeah. thing, and obviously you know they can't afford like our prices for this thing, so for them it would need to be cheap and like easily affordable um But at the same time, you know, this is like my favorite crowd, like, you know, like, having little kids enjoy it is like, that's the best, you know, like, they're just like so full of glee. Um, But it's kind of then the opposite of of what, like, you know, art and art galleries would be where it's, oh, yeah, as as rare as possible. And, you know, like, uh, I have it and you don't kind of of thinking, right? So that's kind of uh, not exactly what I'm going for.
0: Right, right, right. And that's, you know, that's not to cast aspersions on all of gallery culture, right? Like there there are a certain number of things that there there are only one of and will only ever be one of. And they, and it's good that they are somewhere that people can see them. But it can be this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where people go there to see things that there are only one of and, and are having this experience that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the thing itself. Whereas with something like the line wobbler, if you could have this piece of, for lack of a better term, art that delights everybody, you know, of, of whatever age, and that if people could have that in their homes, that would just be a good thing and there you know there is something i think in the gallery mindset or whatever that thinks like oh that would diminish it if there were some way to make it more cheaply and and if anyone who wanted one could have one but that would really only be to the good if we think that the thing itself is just like a joyful and interesting object to have in the world
1: yeah yeah exactly and then yeah that's uh it's just also yeah the the tricky thing of like this production is, is what's kind of holding me back you know like not you don't only really have to deal with like software bugs like a video game developer but also hardware bugs where yeah you know like suddenly a month later this wire breaks and it's like very uh, very slow debugging processing oh, okay it broke because people you know always twist the spring is clockwise or like in in circles instead of just bending it forwards and back and then you know how do i solve this and it's this is kind of an uh, interesting challenge and uh, i actually really enjoy this part of making hardware as well i kind of like this this kind of making it sturdier or like discovering all these unknown problems but they would also kind of be uh, tricky if i had a product you know and suddenly i would need to deal with warranty cases for like a thousand line wobblers and uh, suddenly make a thousand new springs that would be I mean, it would also be really boring for me, but it's also
0: kind of a yeah. <laughs> replacement part. A little yeah. tricky, yeah. Which yeah. then you, you know, the, of course, the first thing you think is, well, then I can offset that to someone. And then that introduces all of these sort of uh, logistical and also ethical implications that don't really exist for you today, whether what you're making are prototypes or just like artisanal small batch game toyoid products, whatever it is. You know, once you're at the level of, you know, creating enough of them that they could be sold to, to whoever wants them pretty cheaply, then it's like, who are you working with and are the workers being treated fairly? and what's the supply chain, like you're very aware of and in control of your entire supply chain today, it would be very hard to keep that true at scale.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I really value my my independence as well right now. So like I can, uh, you know, just today I was at the hack space or at the maker space in London and just working away on, on a couple like little line mobblers. Uh, and it's kind of, I, I do that on my own terms right now. But if I had like uh, this spun up somehow that, you know, I wouldn't need to deal with like a lot of uh, warranty cases or at least like even having a shop open where people could buy it that's kind of would, would tie me down a, a lot I mean not saying that I would never do it uh, so that might happen sometime but uh, right now I'm I'm just enjoying just doing whatever and then you know if, if I feel like making uh, one more line wobbler for another gallery or for a full event that that's that happens you know but uh, I'm not really bound to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're more interested in making another one because you've got some idea or because some specific space or group or whatever wants one rather than just making them to make them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fair enough. So what else are you working on? Is it uh, or is there secret stuff? Are there other aspects of uh, of the 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 wobble expanded universe? Is that the right thing to call it Uh, (laughs) that that people are unaware of that you're that you're ready to talk about uh, stuff that I'm missing? I just want to make sure you get to talk about what you want to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I guess the these two things so like line wobbler and wobble garden, and its various variants are uh, <laughs> its
0: offshoots. Yeah, if 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 yeah. if, if, uh, if wobble garden is is whiskey, then like quantum garden is bourbon or something. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's kind of what I what kind of keeps me busy. Uh, at least will keep me busy for like at least the next half year. So I'm gonna you know make those uh, this uh, new copy for Brazil that's gonna happen in the next months. And then uh, a GDC always takes up a fair chunk of my time, uh, not necessarily like just work-wise, but I'm also kind of usually making it a little trip. So I'm visiting some friends in the States. Um, uh, so it's it's kind of a time thing in a way, like just to, to, to go to these conferences as well. And there's a maze in, in Berlin, that's a, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, um, making new things. I mean, I, uh, I have ideas for, for what's coming next, but I haven't really started working on that so i mean i i kind of i think i'm keen to make one more like spring led based thing just so i have like a little collection Uh i would call it my, my spring collection <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like i'm only making this to to make this pun but it's uh
0: <laughs> it's a years long quest for that pun Worth exactly
1: <laughs> um but i think that could be fun to to have like a little uh trilogy of like spring games and then uh maybe moving on to something else but uh yeah in the meantime it's it's mostly like these uh spring led based games um and then uh yeah some small projects like i'm uh i'm making uh, a trophy for the IGF award for the old control games this year old control gdc oh, so cool. i i don't know if everyone's aware of of all this uh, so the alt control gdc is like a really cool little uh, alternative controller exhibition at uh, at the games developer conference in san francisco and They've been kind of instrumental uh, both for myself and like showing stuff, so and keeping me interested and keeping you know like my stuff in the eye of the public or at least in the game developer public, um, but also kind of pushing uh, other people to to make experimental hardware. So it's it's been a really cool institution going on for not too long, like five six years now. But they uh, also now have its, their own award category at the independent games. Uh, awards and uh yeah i'm lucky enough to to make the trophy for this year's uh winner uh and so that's going to be a little alt control thing in itself as well uh so it's gonna have little buttons maybe i'm still working on the design but that's going to be uh it's, it's a very fun project as well because it you know it doesn't really need to have a purpose <laughs> and it just needs to look cool and so that's quite uh quite a fun little thing to be working on
0: no, that's fantastic. So, th- so no springs. Well, maybe it's too soon to say. You don't have to reveal that if there are going to be springs on the trophy. That can be a surprise. That's fine.
1: But... Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll. You'll see it uh, in, in March. <laughs> excellent. Excellent.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you. You've been super generous with your time. Do you need to get going?
1: Uh, I've, I've got. A, I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, home now, so it's like evening time here. Uh, so I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm actually writing uh, a little thing on uh, quantum computing and art. Uh, so the. Uh, oh yeah. This, yeah. I don't really know what to write about it actually i i kind of need to research it myself a bit i mean i'm kind of slid into this quantum thing uh by accident almost like you know by this uh finished connection um uh, but it seems like an interesting space and also interesting to kind of research what possibilities are there to do art with quantum computing obviously i mean there isn't really any really functional quantum computers yet that can be used for anything artsy so it's all fairly theoretical or like simulated and uh that's that's interesting and a lot of the appeal for art i think comes from this um pop culture experience like you know expectation of quantum physics of being like this super mysterious weird thing where you know like (laughs) spooky added action at a distance happens and quantum entanglement does some weird things where people think of entangled strings or whatever and uh, you know, like it's, it's, it's very theoretical and abstract if you actually look at the science. So it's, it's a fun thing, but it's, uh, I think a lot of the art inspiration comes from, from, from pop culture rather than actual hard science. And Yeah. It's, uh, so a, the
0: word quantum is definitely in the, the, the catalog of words that sci-fi just throws in to make stuff sound vaguely sciency <laughs> without necessarily oh, yeah, worrying it's, too much about the connotation. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a buzzword in a way. So similar to to crypto or, you know, like blockchain or whatever. It's a uh, quantum is the next uh, uh, weird buzzword for that. And uh, I mean, like the, the the thing we built, it has like actual backing as what well, the quantum garden has backing in science, but uh, it's it's also very pop culture in the sense that it's just mostly pretty colors, uh, you know, that have like a simulation in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so since you're right in there, I, I am someone who has tried and failed to explain uh, or, or even really to grasp, if I'm honest, you know the the real difference with quantum computing. So, is it you know if if you don't know what you're saying yet because you're still working on the piece, that's totally fair. But how would you explain what exactly makes computing quantum, since it is well, mostly hypothetical?
1: Yeah. So I mean, maybe most people have heard of also the qubit as well. So mm-hmm. like a normal computer works with bits, so like zero, one, or true and false. While a quantum computer doesn't really have like, uh, I mean, it doesn't only have the zero and one. So it has like this, uh, this state in between. And that's kind of this really vague w- thing that kind of hard to understand. So it's like, a, it's called a superposition of states. So it's like, a, several states at once, sometimes like, you know, infinitely many states. And that's kind of the interesting thing about it, that makes it super powerful, uh, for some uh, applications, but also makes it super hard to to actually write those things. Because you can't really output this superposition of states. In the end, you still need a, like a proper result of the you know the, uh, the the algorithm. So it still needs to output zeros and ones in the end, and kind of uh, collapsing or like making this superposition back into a normal zero and one. That's the hard part, and that's also what uh, quantum computer scientists struggle with uh, when they write algorithms. It's actually a fairly complex and tricky problem um, to solve and that's only the the theoretical side so then the practical side is of how can we actually store these things you know like how how do you store a qu- a qubit and uh uh yeah sometimes you hear these news oh yeah the biggest new supercomputer stores 27 qubits or something and that's <laughs> a ridiculously tiny amount and uh you can't really solve any real world problems or uh, write new crypt- uh, cryptography uh, or like security applications with that um So it's still a super long way off of being actually useful for anything besides like academic little experiments. Um,
0: Yeah, because you have to basically come up with a qubit or a very small number of them and then resolve them back to binary states.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, first of all, you need to represent your problem, like whatever you're trying to solve into these qubits. That's kind of tricky. And then out of those qubits. Uh, And that seems to be at least what I understand from from my... I, I did one computing course at uni and that was... What seemed to be the hard problem there. And then, I mean, if you manage to do that and you manage to build a computer that can do that, it is actually, uh, yeah, it, it kind of is super fast. And in fact, it's so fast that once people solve that, uh, all current security will kind of instantly break because it's, it's based on being, you know, passwords being hard to crack. Uh, if is, you, if you could brute
0: force anything essentially instantaneously, then. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Apparently, so that's, that's uh, one of the promises of uh, quantum computing. But yeah, I was just reading some, uh, uh, like basically the Wikipedia article on quantum computing today. And there's still a lot of quotes in there saying, oh yeah, it's like a long way off and we need like billions of qubits instead of 27 to, to have a useful computer. And so that seems to be a, a while off, but then again, you know, like these things scale surprisingly quickly and uh, we're making so many prog- uh, so much progress in there. I so said, yeah, maybe it's a couple years off um, but it's definitely an interesting field for sure, yeah,
0: in a, in a very abstract way, it reminds me a lot of like early video games that were very, very limited in terms of memory and things like that. You had like so few bytes to work with. This seems like you know vastly more advanced computing, but like we've come around to the same problem where you have so few of the thing you're working with to work with, so you have to figure out what, if anything, is possible under those limitations,
1: yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you can solve like little sorting problems where you sort some numbers really fast, but you know, having something really complex or even creative and playing a game on it, that will take some time, uh, I think, still. Uh, so yeah. I guess we're we, we're we're stuck with our normal classic, <laughs> classical computers for now and having to do video games on those. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to to a, a, a quantum world sometime in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's I mean, and you're, well, you're not just looking forward to it. You're like you're you're the vanguard. You've, <laughs> you're in the quantum world, albeit in a in a small way, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll make a quantum line wobbler. I mean, I have the quantum <laughs> garden already, so uh, we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would play a quantum line wobbler. I'm not even perfectly sure what that means, but you know, like there's there's red, there's green, there's something in between, but there's actually an infinite number of things in between. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, very good. Yeah, that could be it. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. Anything
0: else uh, coming up? So, so I should ask you real quick, and I can cut this part out. Is there a, a time when it would be especially useful for this to get posted? Are you are you doing like? closer to GDC, uh, would that be good or something like that? Like, what would be helpful for you?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess before GDC would be nice. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, we're also planning some alt-control parties. I haven't actually mentioned that. Uh, so we, we're doing some some alt-control uh, parties, which are, like, just basically parties where we have bring along a lot of, like, hardware games. So I will probably have Line Mobbler with me, uh, probably Wobble Garden, and then I have a lot of friends who are making uh, their own games, and then we bring some games from the... From this year's Alt Control GDC over there as well, and then just party on the Friday of GDC, uh, so that's in March in San Francisco, and then uh, we have some plans to do it also in uh, Bit Summit, which is a conference in Kyoto in summer in, in June. But it's mostly an excuse to go again to Japan and enjoy the <laughs> food and uh, uh, culture there. But that's yeah, we're definitely planning to have some cool alternative controller outing in Japan as well.
0: That's fantastic. That's that's you know as excuses go, that's a Pretty good excuse.
1: Yeah, yeah, it should be quite, uh, quite good fun, and yeah, we, we're going to show our games at Bit Summit as well. It's like the, basically in the Mega Booth uh, version in Japan, uh, so it should be quite, quite good, I think.
0: How is that? Is it? I mean, because you to bring it all the way back around, because we were talking about arcades, and you were saying that when you show the Line Wobbler in Japan, there's maybe a little bit less confusion about it as an object and an, and a game with an alternate control scheme and stuff. Is uh is the equivalent of the indie mega booth in Japan quite different from what you would see in in the U.S. or in Europe?
1: Uh, I think no, actually, it's it's still fairly similar uh, in terms of like being a little uh, expo where video games are shown. I mean, it's like a more obviously there's more more Asian games there, so a lot of uh, Japanese developers mm-hmm. showing their games and those games uh usually differ a fair bit from from typical western games so you know as you imagine like the typical jrpg is one example uh a lot of uh anime inspired games um so that's cool and then there's a, a big uh, international crowd that shows the games as well so it's kind of the interesting thing is i guess the mix of those two or like the the overlap where, where they meet and then uh i enjoy a lot the uh the, the after parties as well where you mingle with those developers and uh you know, just uh, sit on on the river in Kyoto in the summer, and there's little fireflies in the night. It's very kind of little, uh, romantic video game gatherings there. Uh, so I kind of enjoy that. Uh, but yeah, as in terms of video game event, it's it's still um, fairly similar, I would say. I mean, there's like a lot of cultural difference that 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 come in there, but it's still video games. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because when when the phrase "game culture" gets uh, invoked, it often means. Mm a sort of imagined community of consumers who are united in their desire to purchase products. But there are all of these, of course, other cultures, subcultures maybe you might call them, around games, you know, like like all the stuff that happens around GDC or other conferences, communities of developers, you know, all those kinds of things that are to me much more interesting, you know, in that way where you can see how the culture or the experience or the romantic firefly-strewn moment uh, in Kyoto affects the work or the culture or just people's outlooks right like i feel like that stuff doesn't get talked up enough and i feel like your stuff which does sort of demand presence in a space maybe presents a good opportunity to think about that stuff a little bit more and not just think of games as this like online only uh somewhat fetid monoculture you know
1: yeah absolutely and then i mean i guess um, more broadly speaking like i guess bit summit is also like an indie event so mostly independent games are shown and you know, the the term itself, indie or independent game, is kind of getting a bit more muddled these days, you know, what is really an independent game, like technically Valve would be an independent company, but obviously they're not really making indie games. So, you know, the definition gets more broad and that, I think, also opens up the space for more niches to appear and kind of defining themselves better. So, and I I feel like alt control games are definitely one of those niches um that's that is growing at the moment uh i mean obviously i'm quite biased so maybe i i see everything through through my little rose tinted glasses but uh i feel like it's it's a very cool space to be in and there seems to be more and more things happening in there as well and maybe not necessarily commercially always but it's it's definitely a thing people discover that they can make games that have weird in and outputs and that seems to be a thing that is uh, always growing and an always an important part now of these like independent festivals
0: yeah, I mean, as stated, it's it's something where there's no limit, right? Like you, you could always come up with some different way to control things. That's you know, it's uh, and and in fact, that almost becomes more necessary as we start. I mean, like there, there's a real hunger just in commercial software to make gestural controls, motion controls, voice controls, VR interfaces, AR interfaces, all that stuff happen. Right. So it's like it makes sense that there are going to be all these new toys to play with and pieces of hardware concepts to mess with. Like that's that's a really exciting space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's like definitely a, a commercial appeal from from that angle, and you know, you could you could argue that VR opened like uh, a lot of possibilities there as well. Like you know, especially uh, force feedback VR hasn't really been explored much yet, and that seems to be like an interesting area to myself as well. Like, see, oh, can we do something with like motors how would we attach them or how would
0: you this, make this, what you're touching in the virtual space feel tactile and convincing
1: exactly that seems like a super interesting uh project to myself and and also maybe looking at it from from an entire different angle it's like uh, from the perspective of indies it's like where all the the you know, traditional spaces are closing up now like where mobile games is long gone to you know like it's almost impossible to to be uh, uh constantly successful as a, as a mobile developer it's like too much uh, competition going on. And that seems to be happening on Steam now as well, where uh, indie titles uh, or any game kind of constantly makes less and less average revenue just because there is so much more uh, around. And that uh, I can see that happening, uh, starting to happen with the consoles as well. So you need to look, where do you go? You know, like, what do you do instead? How do you kind of maybe set yourself apart or what is it you're interested in? And, you know, maybe hardware could be one of those and still fairly hard to, to do it full time, like, you know, commercially, because there isn't really a, a market space for hardware as, as such. But there's definitely a lot of little niches that are opening up and I'm kind of still working on discovering them. But uh, definitely like, uh, you know, I mean line wobbler is uh, fairly successful right now, but it's like, still, maybe n- not everyone will, uh, you know, not everyone's hardware game will go very far, but I think it's definitely cool as a little niche and hobby thing for for now and then hopefully grows as well.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to bring up the commercial aspect of it as like, and what you're doing is valuable because people might make money off related things. I didn't mean that at all. I meant that like when there is a space that the powers that be are really interested in developing and it remains a contested space because nobody has really figured out how to crack it. That presents so many opportunities for collaboration and all kinds of just weird, wonderful stuff to develop. And that it seems to me is the space you're playing in as you work with museums, public spaces, whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, also in terms of uh, collaboration with people, it's very interesting. So I'm also, you know, toying with the ideas, oh, what if I make my installations bigger? You know, I want to have the, like, a, a, the largest line wobbler I can, like, off a tower or something. You know, that would be super fun. Um, but I also don't really know, you know, how to do that myself. So that, you know, necessitates, like, more collaborations with maybe also more unusual uh, branches of, like, or like different different people that, you know, work in construction or in, you know, furniture design or so on. And so uh, having these collaborations come together uh, in like, for example, in maker spaces is, is very interesting to me as well. And this is kind of also what, what drives me to, to keep doing this, to, to kind of make weirder things with, with different people.
0: I can't think of a better note to end on than that. If <laughs> that sounds good to you, make weirder things with different people is uh, is you know those are words to live by. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a fun world. Yeah, and uh, it's it's so much to explore. And uh, yeah, I can encourage people to get into into hardware. It's it's easier now than ever. There's so much help online uh, in in forums, but also offline in like your city's makerspace is is very you know approachable and happy to help you with like making weird hardware stuff
0: yeah absolutely well that's that's great so i will definitely get this up before gdc uh is, is february sometime good for you yeah absolutely cool yeah because i just i talked to rami and his thing is uh you know like a like the meditation thing it's a little tiny game every day so
1: oh yeah yeah i'm, I'm part of that as well actually that's amazing I mean, uh, until the, not until later this year but uh yeah it's a very tiny thing and that's it's uh, cool. but it's, it's definitely a really cool initiative and i guess you talked about it uh earlier with him a lot but uh, i'm really um happy that that rami does all these these cool little experiments that kind of defy what what games are normally
0: yeah 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 i mean much like yourself albeit in, in rather different directions um, i'm really excited to see what your thing is that's that's a good incentive to keep logging in every day not that i haven't been anyway but um <laughs> but yeah cool so I'll, I'll get this out there february sometime so that i can get his his thing up sooner and people can experience more of the games and, and all of that um,
1: yeah absolutely Sounds awesome
0: cute. awesome uh thank you again um i will link to all of your stuff is it cool if i use maybe like a screenshot or something from one of the videos of, of line wobbler or, or uh quantum garden or yeah, something yeah
1: absolutely uh yeah i mean i can also send you photos if, if you like I that'd mean, be I amazing
0: if you wouldn't mind yeah it's i yeah, tried taking the... i was gonna oh, say yeah. i tried taking my own photos at baby castles but it's like around the exit door so it's like they it's cool looking but it's not like the most attractive <laughs> light in which to view it yeah yeah no it's, um, it's, a,
1: it's a tricky uh piece to make photos of and uh yeah, That's a, it's another thing I, I could talk for a while as well like this like this thing I read recently about the Instagram ability of, of art pieces. <laughs> it's like it seems to be a real uh, kind of criterion now for museums to uh, to choose what they exhibit is like how well it does on Instagram. And I can oh, see God. that point, you know like being uh, like making online advertisement for whatever exhibit they have. Um, but it's also it's so weird that like a, like a software platform like Instagram, now defines what we will see in a museum right so that's so weird to me um, and, and furthermore kind of
0: for, furthermore that the you know the whole appeal of going to, muse- to a museum is that this is a thing you've got to see in person and it lives and dies by what it looks like not in person like that's yeah, yeah. a facsimile of it that's so uh, it's so counterintuitive
1: it is so counterintuitive and at the same time it's like this I guess, like the maybe, like the the, the vanity of people is kind of reflected by that. Oh, look, see me playing this, Uh, and that's kind of the, it's like the whole reason Instagram exists. I guess, like you know, but. Yeah. Uh, like... Uh, that's kind of a, a very fun thing to to, or like an interesting thing at least to yeah, to yeah. think about.
0: It's fun. It's also a little depressing. I don't I don't know if you read that piece oh, that yeah. was going around about uh, the guy who who found the the best burger place in the U.S. and killed it by writing about it, uh, because the you know this this tiny little burger spot got this influx of people who were really just there to check it off their list because it had you know five Yelp stars or something, and they you know they they came, they Instagrammed, they left. And that's, you know, small businesses and and most interesting things in the world are really not built to deal with that kind of quick, one-time disinterested traffic. It doesn't really build anything. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's a mode of consumption, for lack of a better term, that can be a little bit scorched earth, you know? And it's like, that's not, I know what you want to encourage, and I don't think that's actually what galleries want to encourage. They're just trying to, like, stay relevant as the way information gets exchanged changes. But it's a it's a weird knot to untie that that vanity thing because you don't want to accuse people who are showing up to play with your thing or come to your exhibit or whatever of like oh you're only here for vanity but for some people it is in fact true and I I don't know I don't know what to do about that per se
1: yeah no exactly I, this is like a yeah, tricky problem to solve and I yeah I don't I don't have the solution to that either and uh, I mean of course it's it's cool if you if you share what you've seen online with your friends right so it's like uh, uh, you you don't have any like bad intentions
0: no certainly not. Certainly not.
1: Yeah, but uh yeah, I'll, I'll definitely send you some some uh photos. Uh, do you want um yeah, I mean I can just send you a couple. Yeah,
0: whatever whatever you got, whatever you got. Um yeah, I'll probably I'll probably look for a video online and also grab like some of the sounds <laughs> that you know, that line wobbler or something makes.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh yeah, I should have some surprisingly many videos I have online about it are taking it like uh like uh video game parties where it's like really loud in environment noise. Uh, mm. like, that's First, couple of venues I showed it at uh, were all these like cool video game evenings, uh, but they were all usually fairly loud. So, I, I should be a couple that have good sound.
0: I, I cool, yeah. If you wouldn't mind, that'd be fantastic. And I, and I was gonna say, like, you know, winning the gallery Instagram Wars, like the Line Wobbler is very hard to take a, a still photo of, but it's extremely gifable. Uh, oh, able yeah, and yeah, it's, it's and too. it's extreme, it, it looks great on video, you know?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. It's just kind of a, a moving piece, yeah.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you one more time. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to get to get to touch more of your stuff and be as happy as that cat some more. Um, (laughs) And I'm excited to see what you make next uh, to see how the spring collection (laughs) concludes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, I'll uh, I'll definitely let you know. And I'm excited myself to see what's going to happen.
0: Awesome. Thank you again.
1: Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Have a good one. You too. Bye.
0: And that's the show. Come see Robin's work at the Alt Control Showcase at GDC from March 20th to the 22nd. Come see me talk to Zach Barth on March 20th at 9 a.m. at GDC. It's going to be a GDC party. It's going to be real good. You can find everything that Robin does at wobblylabs.com. That's W O B B L Y L A B S.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Robin underscore B. The Everybody's Talking in Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger michaels with all manner of advice and support from Lucio Valentino, Francis Michelle Lopez, and Lauren Viegas. You can find it on Apple Stitcher, Google Overcast, Spotify Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and in the joy in a cat's eyes when it sproings a doorstopper. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from the Noun Project. We have been releasing on Saturdays, as you know, if you listen regularly. Uh, I asked a relatively small number of people quite unscientifically what day they wish there were more podcasts, and they said Saturday. So I've been doing that, but it turns out that a lot of people who are not those people do not check their feeds on weekends. So we are going to be switching to Tuesday releases. You can expect the next episode of this podcast on Tuesday, March 5th, which is actually a little earlier than you were expecting another podcast episode. So, you're welcome. ETAO. dot blog. <laughs>